0: Good afternoon, everyone. Hopefully the electronics will... The camera's going to help me. Thank you. Uh, Let's turn in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It's great just to be here together as brothers and sisters, uh, friends gathered to, to worship God, to sing praises, to pray and uh, also to just gain something from opening up God's Word together. And it really is amazing to think about this book that we all have in our hands, or at least somebody beside you has one. I see a number of electronic versions out there. you know. But we have this Word of God that really helps us understand what's going on in our lives. I started doing this series of lessons from Ecclesiastes after my brother passed away, because it just hit me we we've been through as a church community many many passings of siblings, of parents of uh, of members of our congregation and uh, one of the books that keeps coming to mind whenever you're at a funeral is ecclesiastes uh, it's often read and what's interesting about the book of ecclesiastes that's become so clear is solomon does a great job defining the questions but actually as you look through sort of how he responds to them Boy, I'd rather read a psalm. I'd rather read the Lord as my shepherd than many of the things that Solomon comes to because though there's a wisdom in what he says, there's a lacking faith in God and a lacking bit of revelation, you could say, from God. So this isn't to take away from the inspired, uh, you know, words of, of the Bible. It's simply to say that this was the testimony of Solomon in his wisdom. And he was able to you know, put the questions out there, but he hadn't the revelation or the faith to put all the right answers out there, or at least the full answer. And so in chapter 9, we're coming back to a theme that, that runs through the book of, uh, of Ecclesiastes, and that is death. And how do we view death? And, of course, uh, this sermon is just, I'm just following the book. But, you know, even in this past week, uh, two dear people here lost their mothers, And, you know, death is real. And we're all heading there. They they say that death and taxes are the only two certain things. But I can tell you, looking at the world we live in, death is more certain than taxes. There's some people that have found some ways to get around taxes. No one's found a way to get around death. And so it is important for us to understand this concept. Because I think often death scares us and even has a negative meaning for us. But actually, if we understand the Bible's teaching about it, there's something to be learned from this facing of death. So let's look over here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we'll read verses 1 to 6. Solomon says, So I reflected on all this, and concluded that the righteous and the wise, and what they do are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Now, I'm sorry, uh, that wasn't very encouraging, was it? You know, you're reading this and you're thinking... What's the problem here? But the problem is that, that Solomon sees death as something bad. He sees death as something evil. And actually, he sees he's depressed, even though it's not the day of his death when he wrote this. There's a depressed feeling about him because I can't avoid what's about to happen to me. It's coming. And there's nothing that, be, that can be done. And he makes this observation which he makes actually already a number of times in the book of Ecclesiastes, that death comes to all. And he uses this word, it's man's fate, it's man's destiny. It's this chance happening. And what he's really saying is, it's beyond our control. There's something that's going to happen in each one of our lives, and in the lives of everyone we know, and that's death. Of course, as Christians, we know the Bible says Jesus will come back and Those that are alive then won't die in the normal sense of the word. But until he comes back, death waits for every person. And so he said in chapter 2, whether you're a fool or wise, death still comes. Interesting, in chapter 3 he says, even if you're a human or an animal, death still comes. Then in chapter 9, what we just read, whether you're righteous or wicked, you offer sacrifice or not, death is going to come. It's not a respecter of persons. But the question that's really in Solomon's heart is, what does it mean? And so here's the wisest man on earth, reflecting on death, and the honest truth is, he's depressed. Because he's not trusting in God. He's not understanding God's plan in this. If you go over to Romans 5, I'm just going to read it. It's in your notes if you just want to turn to your notes. Romans 5, starting in verse 12, is talking about Adam and how sin came into the world. But it says this, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. You know, it's funny, God created a world with no death. If you actually look back at the creation story, death wasn't part of it. God created life, but He didn't create death. And He created man sinless, and in a, in a perfect relationship with him, at least in some aspects perfect, because uh, it, it says that God would just come and spend part of each day in the garden with Adam and Eve. So he wasn't there all the time. But in the time that he wasn't there, he gave Adam and Eve a chance, a chance to be faithful to him, a chance to obey him. You know, it's one thing to obey someone, especially when they're big and powerful, when they're around. It's another thing to obey them when they're not around. You know, so, in the garden, Adam and Eve were tempted. But God had said to them, and, and this is quoted here in your notes, it says in Genesis two sixteen, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, what's interesting is, He doesn't say, when you eat of it, I'm going to kill you. He says, when you eat of it, you will die. And they hadn't seen death yet. They didn't know what death would look like. Death was still somewhat of an unknown. But they understood one thing. It's a bad thing. They knew it was a consequence and it was bad. So what happens? Adam and Eve are tempted. They eat the fruit. Then God came for His regular daily time. They heard the sound of the Lord coming. And this is what it says in Genesis 8. They hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. See, this was death. Who killed them? They did it themselves. See, death isn't just this judgment that God has rained down on us. Death is a decision on our part to turn away from God. To turn away from what is right. Because they disobeyed Him and they sinned, they were ashamed to stand before God. And when they heard God coming, they hid. Who killed their relationship with God? They did. And so it's interesting, they they didn't physically die, they spiritually died. They were spiritually separated from God. But God didn't separate them from Him, they separated themselves. And see, that's how death came into the world. We sinned and we were ashamed and we hid. Now the good news in Genesis chapter 3 is, God didn't go, you know what? I had an appointment with Adam and Eve. Apparently they didn't, they're didn't. they not here. And He, he just left. I'm going to go make another planet somewhere and start over. Maybe this new creation, maybe they'll respect me. No, God called out for them. God called them to Himself. And they came out. And in the end He actually covered their nakedness with clothing that He had made. He took care of them. What's interesting, after he'd done all that, in Genesis 3.22, it says, Adam must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So he was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. See, what's interesting is, man physically wasn't created to live forever. The Garden of Eden was a physical place. There was something in the Garden of Eden that actually could give physical, eternal life. They had it all. But they were separated from God now by their sin. And see, God has a plan for death. How could we get to heaven if we don't die? How are you going to get from the body you're sitting in right now, the body you're living in, how do you get from this body to heaven? There's only one way to make the the transition. You've got to leave this body behind. Now, the younger you are, the worse that sounds. The older you get. You know, I've seen this in, in my life just in more recent times. I've seen people welcoming death. Because quite honestly, the quality of life that they're living, death, and I've seen even people that don't believe in God look forward to death simply because the quality of life. Now, that's not God's plan. But what's interesting is, the first thing that came was spiritual death. And then God introduced... uh, He still didn't kill them, He just separated them from His power, which would have caused them to live forever, which was in this tree of life. And so now we are subject to death. But see, I believe this, if it wasn't for death, we wouldn't really value life. If it wasn't for death, we wouldn't really get serious about God. Death is a wake-up call. Death makes us think about what's really important. Solomon said in chapter 7, verse 2, It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because death is the destiny of every man. You know, we like to enjoy ourselves. We like to forget the difficulties of life. But if you do that too much... Life will pass you by and the important things won't be dealt with. And death is a reminder. You can't take it with you. Some of the things that we work so hard for and think are so important, it's it's amazing, on your deathbed don't mean anything at all. They don't mean anything. You know, the thing that does mean something is the people that love you surrounding you. Holding your hand and being there with you. That is the most precious thing. That is what people want in those final moments. So actually, death is a blessing. Physical death is a blessing. God introduced it. God allowed it so we would be able to think more deeply about life. Who wants to be eternally separated from God? This flesh can't get into heaven. But the Spirit can with God's power. Let's look a little further in Ecclesiastes verse 7 to 10. It says, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days and then it gets interesting of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Boy, he goes, enjoy your life. And by the way, it's meaningless. But enjoy it anyways. Each meaningless day. Have you ever felt the meaninglessness of life? You know, I know uh, just being ill for a few days occasionally. Just for, just for a few days you begin to feel it. I know some people deal with this all the time. But what it really makes you begin to understand is what's important isn't what's physical. What's important is something that's spiritual. And I want us to watch a little video clip. Uh, it's from a movie called Dead Poet Society. And uh, it actually popularized a saying. Like I remember when this movie came up, I don't think many people knew what carpe diem meant. But after this movie came out, it was like it was like the big thing, the big motivational speech, seize the day. But what's interesting is it's so much like the words of Solomon. So hopefully our everything is going to work. Well, nope. That didn't work. Come on. it's the first day of school by the way Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a poem by Walt Whitman by Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Now, Mr. Dyson, you'll call me Mr. Peeking. In my face. Now, Mr. Pitts. but an unfortunate name. Pitts. 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 <laughs> so what appropriate is it? <laughs> Gather ye rosebuds while in May, old time is still flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. I think it was chaste. Gather ye rosebuds while in May. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Who knows what that means? Carpe diem, that's the seeds the day. Very good, Mr. Eats meets another mutual name. Seize the day. Get your to go, you may. Why does the writing just be nice? You guys sit No! Ding! I can't find any way. Because we are food for worms, guys. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing i cold and die. I'd like you to step forward with me. I've some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. Too late to make their lives even one eye-opener what they were capable Because you see, them, these boys are now fertilizing death. If you're so little close, they can most of the legacy. had to include that because it had Cameron in it. <laughs> you know, um, this movie is so interesting. Though there's not a whole lot of hope in what he said in one way, the truth of it was so clear. And what I remember about this movie was people that didn't even believe in God, people that didn't really care about that kind of truth, there was something in this that captured their imagination. And the truth is, we all know this, that today is important. That there's something we should be doing today. And you know, it's so easy to get caught up with other things. Things that aren't that important. And we're not seizing the day, not seizing the opportunity. We're just kind of going with life. But see, what's so clearly about life is life by itself simply goes to death. But there is something so much more. Back in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 and 12... says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. You know, what, what Solomon's really exploring is human limitation. And some of the facts of human existence. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know, except that we are here today. Right now, in this moment, living before God. And there's something that God wants us to do. What He was appealing to in this this little clip was their ambition. Their desire for greatness. Their desire something within themselves mostly in their own ego and that's where the the whole film the movie itself gets into this thing because these boys are at this prep school that's supposed to be preparing them for like Yale and Harvard and all this and they start getting these wild dreams about maybe there's something else in life I'd rather be doing like join the circus or something I'm just making it up but you know the point was as you start looking in your own heart what do I really want that doesn't always give us the right answer either The right answer will only come by asking, what does God want me to do with this day that He's given me? Let's just turn over to Matthew 6, 25. It's interesting here because Jesus actually mentions Solomon. Matthew 6, 25. And Solomon was the richest of kings ever to sit in Jerusalem. Solomon controlled the largest territory of any ruler that ever was in Jerusalem. And yet the sad thing is, and we've talked about this, Solomon in the end turned away from God because he thought he could do other things, even build temples for other gods and build these other things for his foreign wives. And in the end, his heart left God. But look what it says here in Matthew 6. have birds flying in and out of their gardens? See them all the time, right? Who takes care of those birds? You know, we're we're off. We're opening up the fridge, we're off to the shop, we're trying to figure out what's going to be for breakfast. The birds have already eaten. Somebody's taking care of them in this world that He's made. So don't worry about these things. He goes on to say, and why do you worry about clothes? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You know one of the other realities of life is that we have needs. And what Saul, what Jesus is talking about here is specifically needs. If you don't eat food, you will die. If you don't drink, you will die. If you don't, if you're not protected from the climate, you will die. I mean, so these things are necessary. But what do you do with life when actually those things are basically covered? Do we manage to start worrying about just what God wants us to or other things? Do we get worried about this world when in fact we should simply be worrying about God and His will for our lives? And that's where Jesus left this in verse 33. He said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And the congregation said, Amen. Okay? you know, Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you noticed that? Let's not worry about tomorrow's trouble. Let's just live today. And then let's ask ourselves about, What am I so concerned about? What's distracting me? You know, say just half an hour before 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock we gather here. Let's say 45 minutes before. What were we worried about? 45 minutes before the the hour when we were going to be here. I dare say that some of us were worrying about something and got engaged in it. And involved in it. And then 4 o'clock came and... Oh! I'm running a little behind. I'm just pointing something out. This is the world we live in, right? We live in a world... I know what Andrew says. Shots fired. Okay? (laughs) Okay? I know I know we live in a world that so easily distracts. but I put before you what is important? God knows. God knows. And see the kingdom of God, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of death won't overcome it. It's an eternal kingdom. And he says, here seek first his kingdom the reign of Christ in our lives because the kingdom isn't just a a place it's a relationship we have with God seek the reign of Christ in your life and His righteousness and everything you need will be taken care of I didn't say that, Jesus did it's a promise He will cover everything you need because you might say, well I don't want to die that's not a need Oh, I don't want to go through difficulty. Actually, haven't you noticed that it's going through difficulties that really refine us and train us? You know, so often the things we don't like are actually things that are good for us. And I don't mean broccoli or spinach. I just mean life itself. We have to accept life and its condition. But we need to seize the day. But not by simply looking and asking ourselves, what do I want Seize the day by asking, what does God want? What does God want for my life? And then grab it with everything you have. Let's pray as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father in God, we are so grateful for your blessings. And Father, we're so grateful for these words of Jesus. Father, we know it's so easy just to get distracted and caught up in things. And, Father, we know that uh, physical life, also material life on this earth, has its challenges. But, Father, we know that more important than this world is the one to come. That, Father, You have prepared a place for those that follow You and seek You. And I really pray, Father, that we see that that's what defines what's important today. That we seek Your kingdom first and Your righteousness first. And all these things will be given to us as well. Father, help us to do this with all our hearts. Help us to seize the day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. For our closing song, we sing Heaven is Up. Heaven is in my heart.